Hebrews, the 11th chapter. If you've got a King James, it says it this way. Now faith, verse 1, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But if you have an amplified, it says this. Now, that word now uh, has been exploited and used in a lot of ways. But that word now just means pay attention. Listen up. Now, hold on. Here we go. Listen to me. Lean in. All right? Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed. That gives us a, a better understanding of what's being said here. Faith means I already have it. Faith means it's in my heart. It's a vision. It's something deep within me. But the vision that I have isn't a haphazard, half-hearted thing. It's a reality. And the reality in me is that I already have it. Mm. We've been talking about this in so many directions. Last week I shared with you uh, some of the things that the prophetic voices are saying in our time. And that there are some days ahead of us that will not be exactly easy. And so if ever there's a time to talk about faith, it's a t just before there's a struggle, that's the best time to talk about faith. Because how many knows faith is hard to have in the middle of a struggle? This is the most holy house. How many have ever had a struggle and it, it wavered your faith and you had, to, you had to hold on to yourself, not to mess up, not to go sideways, not to go backwards? This is an honest house. Praise God. So now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see. It's proof to you. You've already believed it in your heart. It's a reality. When we drove into this community for the first time, I saw this building and my heart set on it. Now, I have to be honest with you, after two or three rejections, I started looking elsewhere. I started going somewhere else. I started looking for something else until one of my elders had to go and say, have you thought about the Ford building? And after the third rejection, I'd already had three rejections. I went, yes. <laughs> oh, you guys are so holy, you wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> I said, Yes. <laughs> And they said, well, can we get in to look at it? And I'm like, sure. And so we came in here, and I, when I first got to town, and the first time I toured this building, it was in pretty good shape. You know, three, three attempts and many years later, when we got in here, I brought my staff in here with me and they were all wide-eyed and excited and, and we walked in and there there was water pouring through the ceiling 
There was dead animals, mold in the carpet. And my Yahoo went, <laughs> oh, you guys are so holy. <laughs> and we got in here and we toured the building. We, we walked around. And my heart, my heart was going, yeah, yeah, we probably ought to do it. But I was playing the cautionary role. And so we walked around, we prayed, we talked about it. And then I started asking everyone else what they thought. And every one of them came back and said, feels like God. Feels like God. It feels like God. It feels like God. And in my heart, I was going, yoo-hoo. On the outside, I was going, okay, well, maybe we ought to do something about it. <laughs> guys are just too too much and so from that moment we started framing a new reality that not only was this something that was in our heart everybody had thought it every new pastor that ever drove into this town thought about this piece of property because it's a prime piece of property it's sitting where it's sitting and it started at 1.2 million. And when we first started looking at that, that was an insurmountable number for a church of 100 people on the other side of town who was having $2,000 a week uh, 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 finances coming in. And that just was an insurmountable amount of money. But by the time we got to the negotiating table, we whittled it way down. And in the meantime, we had bought a piece of land was going to build outside of town. And then that didn't pan out. We couldn't get the contractors to do their part. We couldn't get people out there to build on our piece of land. And so we set our sights on this and decided this was right. We put that piece of land up for sale that we were told we paid way too much for. And we put it up for sale and sold it the next week. The next week, the next week, for $15,000 more than we paid for it. I can't brag, but I can sure brag on God. And that set us up because we'd had a, we'd had a beautiful family who had, had had a prosperous moment, and they wrote us a check uh, that was substantial and with the land money that we had, we had enough to do a sizable down payment on this and bring the payment down to a place where it was affordable. And that all happened because there was a seed of faith planted. And then we began, look at, let's look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds during the successive ages were framed, fashioned, and put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that we see what we see was not made out of things which are visible. We began to frame. Every time we drove by this place, we would speak grace to it. Every time I went by on the highway, I said, thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for passing church's prosperity. I thank you, Lord, that that building belongs to us. And we just kept doing that. 
and I'd drive up here and drive around it. And we prayed around the building, and we prayed on the property, and we just took it serious, and we began to frame that by faith that this is what God wanted for us to do. And we kept framing it by faith. Your God, your God, he's the first challenge of faith. If you can believe there is a God and you can believe all the attributes of God, then you have faith. And he gives you the faith. In fact, if we go over to chapter 12, you'll see that he is the author. He writes faith on your heart and then finishes it. He's the author and finisher of faith. And I don't want to get hung up on, on external things because what this chapter really is talking about, we call this the hall of faith, but what this chapter is really trying to get across to us is that no matter what circumstance you're put in, you have a God you can believe in, and if you can believe your God is able, he will make a way for it to happen for you. Let's take a look on down to verse 6. We'll just jump past the other things. But without faith, it is kind of possible once in a while. What? Oh. Oh. There's an I am before that. But without faith, it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For who ever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. Now faith is. Faith exists. Faith is a substance. Faith isn't an ethereal idea. It's a substance in God. It's realistic. It's realistic to believe even in a God that you cannot see because everything in this world has his fingerprints on it. We serve a God whose fingerprints are on the sun. We serve a God whose fingerprints are on the furthest planet from us. We serve a God whose fingerprints are upon the trees and the land and the, and the animal life and upon mankind. Our, his fingerprints are upon everything we do. And out of all of his creation, you are the crown jewel. You are the prize. You are the being that God wanted and desired most because he created man to carry his image, his express image so that when he looks into the face of man, he sees a reflection of himself. You are the crown jewel in God's creation, and God does not want to do life without you, and that's what makes Jesus so wonderful that when we got sidelined by the enemy of our life who came and talked Adam and Eve out of their, their domain in this world and out of their God-likeness, 
Jesus came into the scene and reversed the curse for you and I. And now you and I have the fullness of Christ living on the inside of us. And he's doing for us what's impossible for us to do without him. And it all works by faith. For as a child at nine years old, I knelt down beside an old an old mattress that had the old springs, the open springs. I don't know if you remember those old beds. And I knelt down on the cold linoleum floor on a screened-in screen porch that was my, my actual bedroom. And there I prayed with my knees on a cold linoleum floor at the age of nine for the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart. And when I came up from that place after crying crocodile tears, no one in the world could have ever told me there's not a God because when I came up, I knew there was a God. I met him. I knew him. He was in my heart. He was real. Mm, I'm having fun. I don't know about you. Real quickly, I'm just passing in review and then we got to move on. Look at this. <coughs> this whole chapter is filled with the Old Testament saints who have carried about the necessity of the gospel and did mighty exploits, believing in a God that they could not see, believing in his spirit that they could not feel 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the same as you and I. But they would have to trust when the Holy Spirit spoke to them and came upon them for the moment. They would have to, by faith, act upon that word they heard, even though that inner witness didn't stay living with them 24-7 uh, like he does with us. That's why we have a little different plight than the Old Testament saints. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to understand that if God did such mighty things with them, just think what he can do with you and I who live with the Holy Spirit. You live with God, one-third of the Trinity on the inside of you at all times. You're living with God, and God is always talking to you. He's always ministering to you. He's always teaching you and leading you. And guiding you if you will listen. Look at this. I'm going to read it out of the King James. But without faith it is impossible to please him, meaning God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I did this last week. I won't spend a lot of time on this. But we have to understand that faith is the answer to all of our unrealized thoughts and dreams. Think about that for just a second. Faith is the answer to all of your unrealized thoughts and dreams. Ephesians, the third chapter, the 20th verse says that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. We can even think to ask. Thank you, sir. You understood what I was going through. Thank you. What a mighty man of God. Lord, bless him. <laughs> Seriously, though, thank you, Z. So Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all according to his power. We often leave this out. According to his power. According to his power in us. 
according to his power in us. Y'all aren't even where I'm at. I might run out and run around this building. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. Even more than I can think to ask him. And he does it through his power in me. Now, that applies to you. In other words, what seems impossible is not impossible if you understand and have faith in the fact that inside of you is the God of power who can make the impossible possible. (laughs) So look at your neighbor and say, watch out, I'm a powerhouse. Mm. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Shekinah glory that put the early priests on their face and took away their ability to work lives on the inside of you. That's why when you come into a place like this and you see people sprawled out on the floor, don't think it's strange. They're having an an encounter with God on the inside of their temple. He has showed up and taken over. And God can take over my life any time he wants to. I was thinking about this last night as I was getting ready for bed. I'd had one of those weeks. I just didn't feel adequate. Didn't feel adequate to be up here in front of you today. I know you've never had those moments, but I had one. And I went to bed last night, and the Holy Spirit laid something in my spirit that I I, got to be careful or I'll be dancing. And you, that's a sight you don't want to see, a fat man turned loose. You just don't want to see that. <laughs> but here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. Hey, get ready. Get ready because I'm going to jump right in the middle of your religion. Here's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, stop. Now, whenever God says stop to you, do you pay attention? He said, stop treating me like a genie in a bottle. Have you had that talk? Stop treating me like a genie in a bottle. Now, I didn't feel guilty of that. But the moment he said it, Because my heart wants to always be close to God, I begin to fall into repentance immediately. Whether I did something wrong or not, it doesn't matter. If he said it, I want to pay attention. I'm not too proud. I'm not too proud if God told me to kneel in the most prominent place in this city where everyone had to walk over my carcass, I'll do it. And when I began to cry out unto him, this revelation in my heart. Now, this may not be, it's not an earth-shattering revelation. But this revelation started pouring forth in me. The reason the church, I'm talking church universal. The reason the church universal 
is not, at least in America, not accomplishing the things that we've been called to do as in other countries. You call a prayer service in other countries and you'll have more people than you can house. You call a prayer service in America and you can't get 10 people in the building. We're so distracted with life and the things of life. And the Holy Spirit told me, he says, the reason the church of America is struggling the way that it is is that we keep trying to get the Holy Spirit to do our will. Big building. Fancy this, fancy that. Preachers who demand ridiculous salaries. Come on, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've known some of those people. Powerhouses, great gifting, but it ended in disaster. Because they were using the Holy Spirit like a genie in a bottle. Here's my wish. Bring it to me. Even in ministry, they wanted to be the biggest and the best and this and that and crowds and blah, 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 blah. But what if God's not in what you're trying to build? What if he didn't lead you to build that? What if that's just your desire, not God's? Does this sound ugly? And so as I was repenting and praying and seeking God, he says, let me do the leading. Let me take you where I desire you to be. Let me place in your hands the tools I know you need for the job I've equipped you for. Let me lead you. Let me take you. You know, I shared with you last week that we were in a time, according to the prophetic voices, that we are in a season and in a time when... um, there might be some dark days in our nation. They're saying it will be short-lived, but there might be some dark days. Of course, we know what the hurricane has done to so many already, but there's, there's more things coming and possibly even national disaster. And if ever there's a time we need the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, it's in a time when things are going against the grain. America is used to prosperity. We're used to things going right. None of us, I don't think any of us in here are a filthy, stinking rich. If you are, please wave your hand. I'll pass the offering bucket again. <laughs> but I don't think any of us in here are, are that self-sufficient, that we've got it all going on, and we don't, we're in need of nothing, right? And we're living in a, in a time, though, all of us were comfortable. Our lives are comfortable, and things have gone well for us, and we live in a nation where things have gone well. But as I said a couple weeks ago, 
9-11 didn't drive people to the church except for a week or two. And that faded away. And partially because the church was so busy rubbing the genie bottle that they were disenfranchised when they came in. When they walked into the house, when they walked into the church, it was foreign to them. It didn't feel right. It didn't seem right. And it it seemed like it was self-absorbed. It wasn't meeting the need that they had to conquer their fear. And then you would have thought COVID would have brought a big revolution. All it did was cause people to gather at home and be comfortable with their family. It didn't change anything. How much larger do the shakings have to be before the church gets this right? In COVID, churches around our nation, I am ashamed, shut down, backed away, lived in fear. There are some that still have not returned. Turn in your license. You are not a man or woman of God. It has nothing to do with your little organization or your building. It has everything to do with meeting the needs and the hearts of people. Is this too much? I know our nation has, has committed, I've got to be real careful here, but our nation has committed an act of terrorism against another nation. I don't know if you know this or not. And the other nation has been touting that they're ready to push the nuclear button. I'm not trying to evoke fear. There's no reason to be in fear. We're in Christ. But the but we're being set up for a national emergency. Other people are afraid to say these things. I ain't. And my responsibility is to help you get prepared. Not to hunker down. Not to hide. Not to hoard. My responsibility is to get you prepared to minister. My responsibility is to help you not fear the moment but rush in with the answer, which is Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So, I need to hurry. Verse 6. What have I got? Five minutes. How many believe it's going to happen in five minutes? There's no faith in this room. Jesus, help us with faith. I'm preaching on faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if we get into a place of panic and despair, we're not pleasing God. We have to trust that he is more than able to get us through whatever season has coming our way. So look at this. Look at this. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. You must believe that he exists And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I shared this with you last week. I'll share it again this week and I'll make it quicker this week. 
That word diligently is the Greek word exoteo. Exoteo is a compound word. The first part is ek. It means movement. We're talking about diligently seeking our God. It means movement or action. Zeteo means to worship, to desire, to endeavor, or to inquire. So those who please God in faith are those who go after him. Those who push in. Those who won't be backed away. Those who won't back down. We've turned this chapter and this verse into a lot of things. Ideologies, mantras. We've turned it into... Um, we've turned it into even entire denominational type structures. We've turned it into a movement when what it really is, is it, it is an instruction from God not to back away from him. I remember back a few years ago when the prosperity message was really, really strong in the church and men and women would come in and they would tout how they believed for uh, something to travel in and how they believed for, uh, you know, money to come in and how they believed and how they believed and how they believed and how they believed. And it was all about them. And it was all about rubbing the genie in the bottle instead of, look what my God has done. Look what my God has provided. Look what my God can do for you. Look what my God. They were trying to get you to use their formula to rub the genie in the bottle to get what you want. I ain't afraid to say it. That's a bunch of baloney. It's not right. That's not what this verse talks about. That's not what this chapter about is about. This chapter is about not losing your faith when the world gets upside down. This is about not losing your faith when you're being persecuted for your belief. It's about standing strong in a time when everything is upside down. It, if you read the latter portion of this, it talks about people being sawn in two, holding to the faith. So let's stop touting this prosperity, America's rich mantra, and let's get back to the heart and the truth of the gospel. Nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing wrong if God blesses your business and you're doing great. I love that because God blesses and rewards his children. Nothing wrong. I'm not condemning. What I'm saying is let's get our priority right. Because if our priority is right, everything will be right in our life. Okay, so we know that this word means a movement towards worship. It means to desire him, to endeavor to get to him, to inquire of him, to spend time in his presence, to magnify his name. And then the word rewarder. It says if you diligently seek him, he will reward you. And that's the word misthapodos. And misthu is the Greek root of this word. And it means to let out for hire or for wages. And the last part of it is opidom. Opitomi, opitomi. And it means to deliver, to give, to repay, to perform, to recompense, to render, to yield, and to reward. So, if you want God's blessing, it's as simple as not thinking about 
the blessing and thinking about the God of the blessing. It's as simple as kneeling before God and forgetting about your troubles and magnifying him and glorifying him and worshiping him and making your life move towards him at all times. The word says that seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. We've got to stop looking for the genie in the bottle and start looking for the God of the glory and magnify him and glorify him because it pays for us to keep our faith active in God. All right, turn with me real quick. I've got two minutes. Actually, my watch says it's over, but I don't believe my watch. It lies. <laughs> turn with me to the book of James real quick. First chapter. I just passed it. First chapter. This whole, this whole book is just amazing. But we're going to skip right to verse 2. I'm going to read out of the Amplified so it's a little wordier. James 1, verse 2. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Look at that. He's saying be happy about it. How many are happy when things happen to you that's negative? <laughs> I'm working on that, brother. I'm working on that. Sometimes I grumble my way to the throne and I leave rejoicing. Oh, let's just be honest. So consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your what? Your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. In other words, when you're going through something and you can hold on to your faith, you keep holding on to your faith no matter how difficult or bitter the temptation or the trial is, when you come out the other side, you are going to be more equipped, more equipped than when you went in. You are going to have more faith than you went into that trial with because the trials are building your faith stronger than the faith you had when you went into the trial. And after you've come through a difficulty, a hardship, a trial, how many have found that that particular thing that you went through doesn't bother you anymore because now you have strength and endurance to get past it? Is this okay? This was not a planned message. This is let God be God. Look at this. 
Verse 5, if any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproach or fault finding, and it, well, it could be given to you. It says it will be given to him. Only it must be in faith that he asks with no wavering, no hesitation, no hesitating, 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 no doubt. For the one who wavers, hesitates, doubts, is like the billowing surge out of the sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything because anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute. He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. I want to step back up to verse 3 and 4. But be assured and understand that the trial and the proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play, and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. My responsibility is to get you prepared for the ministry that lays ahead of us. We've been schooling all this time, and God has been speaking about a massive influx of people Because God knows something you and I don't know. And he started telling us that over 10 years ago. And 10 years seems like a long time, but we've not lost that thought. We've not lost that word. We've kept that word in the center. We have framed that word by faith. We're trusting in that word. And that's why I keep having leadership classes every year to train people so that when we get an influx, we're not all sitting around in immaturity and haven't been tested and haven't been tried and can't be used of the Holy Ghost because we're not in a place of maturity to help somebody else. And so we continuously train so that we're poised and ready for the next step in God. That is reaching out to a world that's hurting and dying and and in fear and struggling and helping them not only to meet the Lord but to mature in the Lord and to walk in Him and to become discipled. You see, I can't disciple everybody who comes through the door, but if you partner with me, we can disciple everybody who comes through the door and make them strong believers and send them into their world to frame their world and turn it upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap. We're done. We're done. We're done. This word endurance means to, it means the power to ending an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving in to it. That's what endurance means. The power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving in to it. 
The word steadfast in those verses means this, firmly fixed, not subject to change, determined, fixed, immovable, loyal, and faithful. And the word patience is forbearance or endurance, self-restraint, not giving to anger even when provoked. It is a, an attribute that both God and man have, and it's an ability to give mercy instead of anger and threat and jealousy and heartache and treachery. It's the ability to stand and be godlike when it's upside down, backwards, and you're pushed until you think you can't take any more. Understand this, that God has given you the power of endurance. You won't give in. You don't have to give in. It, it may be unpleasant. It may be difficult. But you have the power through God because you have faith in God, and God has faith in you. He has faith in you because he gave you the Holy Spirit and living on the inside of you is the endurance you need to face whatever's coming and hang on because when you get to the other side, you will have not given in, but you will have been steadfast. You will have been immovable. You will be so strong, so powerful that the enemy can push and push and push. It's just like a hurricane that we just watched. It pushed certain things over. Things you wouldn't think could be pushed around were pushed around and yet those things that you thought for sure would blow away are still standing there and that's what this is like it's like when the world comes against you like a hurricane the God in you is giving you the strength to stand up at whatever is coming against you and you will against the wind against all odds you're coming through what's coming against you no matter how hard it's pushing you you have it in your heart that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can think and he does it by the power in me and I'll do it one step at a time but I will come out the other side a victor. Wow. Wow. And I will do it with patience. Self-restraint not giving in to anger, but trusting my God that if everything I own is blown away, if everything I have is gone tomorrow, I still have God. And he's really all I need because he's a provider. He's a healer. Oh, I could go into all of his attributes. If you've got God, you lack nothing. If you've got God, you lack nothing. 